Hello, listeners, and welcome to the NK News Podcast. I'm your host, Jacko Zwetslut, and this episode was recorded in Brussels on Thursday, the 20th of November, 2020, and I was supposed to be recording it in the office of my guest today, but instead we are in a uh, meeting of a meeting room of the uh, SME uh, office. Uh, so my, my special guest today is Member of the European Parliament, Mr. Lucas Mandel, is Member of the European Parliament from Austria, where he's a member of the Austrian People's Party. He's in his second term of, as MEP and is member of the European Parliament's Committee on uh, Foreign Affairs and the Vice President of the Committee on uh, Security and Defence. And there was one more that I forgot. You're going to remind me what that was. It was Committee on something with Home Affairs and Internal Security. Yes, uh, for the Interior and Home Affairs, uh, as well as a sub-member of the Committee on uh, Employment, the Labour Market. And since February 17th, the new chair of the Korean Peninsula Delegation. So congratulations on being elected. Thank you for that. So you're, uh, does that mean you'll be responsible for both halves of the Korean Peninsula, the yes. north and the south? For the whole uh, Korean Peninsula. And this is also what it makes very, very attractive uh, for political work, since uh, on the one side with, with South Korea, we have strong economic relations, which grow and grow from year to year, which are in, for mutual benefit uh, of the people in both parts of the world. And it makes a lot of sense to deepen the connection with this democratic state based on rule of law. On the other side, we all know that North Korea uh, is a dictatorship to the inside and is a threat to the outside, to the world. And it makes sense to deal with North Korea, even to help the people there, the citizens of North Korea, and to minimize the risk uh, for our security coming from North Korea. Could you uh, briefly describe what is the state of the relationship of the European Union to the DPRK? What... Uh, the European Union calls its relationship to uh, North Korea is critical engagement. That means to combine pressure through sanctions and other me me uh, measures while keeping communication and dialogue channels open. I would call it also the people-to-people -people contact. And since I'm a parliamentarian and parliamentarism is about talking to each other. Uh, I like this approach uh, very much. And uh, it's not a surprise that the European Parliament is the only institution of the European Union that sends officials in official missions uh, to North Korea if they are uh, able to come in in order to keep this dialogue channel open. Now, the, uh, the EU, of course, is made up of uh, a number of member states. Sometimes I forget. Is it 24 or 27? You'll remind me. 27 member states after Brexit and uh, yeah. before enlargement. Right. And so the, um, now each of those member states may have its own individual relationship with North Korea. Some of them, of course, have their own uh, embassies in Pyongyang and vice versa. Some of them simply have uh, an embassy in Seoul or an embassy in Beijing that's also responsible for Pyongyang. How does that work together with, um, with the European Union's uh, policy of critical engagement? The European Union does not have diplomatic representation uh, in Pyongyang itself, but several member states have, and uh, they are doing the work for EU as well. Uh, of course, uh, this is in line with critical engagement, since uh, critical engagement doesn't mean to stop each and every contact or mm -hmm. to refuse to be in contact at all. No, critical engagement uh, actually needs involvement and uh, to talk to each other. Uh, and that's why it's important what these countries who are represented in North Korea do also on behalf of EU. And uh, more important than this diplomatic representation 
of course, in my view as a parliamentarian, seems for me uh, the political critical uh, engagement, which is again more uh, a, a rather more with regard to people to people contact, and of course with regard to aid, uh, aid that really uh, is available for the people, mm-hmm. not for the regime, of course. Uh, and uh, that's a field where EU is very very strong. EU is on a global scale. Uh, the strongest uh, development aid contributor in the world. Now, um, the the North uh, the North Korean government is notoriously um, uh, very choosy about who it chooses to negotiate with. So, for example, it uh, often wants to negotiate only bilaterally with uh, the United States of America. It does not always want to talk to Japan or South Korea, for example. Does the North Korean government recognize the EU as a uh, as a full dialogue partner, or does it prefer to talk to the member states? Since 1998, that's 22 years now, the EU has been conducting regular political dialogue with North Korea. The 14th session of this dialogue was held in Pyongyang, between uh, 19 and 24 June 2015. This is uh, five years ago now. The European community established diplomatic relations in 2001, and uh, most EU countries have diplomatic relations. When they don't have uh, representations, they at least have relations with uh, North Korea. This provides an opportunity to discuss issues of importance to the EU, including, for example, non-proliferation and human rights. However, the fact that there is no EU delegation or no uh, official diplomatic representation in Pyongyang hampers official dialogue, but uh, the countries who are represented with missions uh, do a good job. For us, the parliamentary contact seems uh, more important to me, and it's everything a question of using the carrot of diplomatic and economic engagement, including aid, uh, together with the sticks of sanctions, and of course of the denunciation of human rights violations and other measures that put pressure on the regime in North Korea. Now, why has it been almost five years since the last round of uh, political uh, discussions with North Korea? We will use uh, each and every channel. It's also a parliamentarian channel, and I'm uh, talking especially on behalf of the parliament, and that's means on behalf of the people of the European Union, of the citizens of the European Union. And uh, in this regard, uh, I use each and every possible contact. And of course, I also intend to go to North Korea, not only to South Korea, to keep the parliamentary uh, channel of discussion and dialogue open. And that seems important to me, not uh, interpretation of the past that much. So do you hope to, uh, to, con- to, to have another round of those discussions? The question is the result that's possible. And if we can work on true issues that uh, make the situation for the people in the country better, put it in a better shape, and that minimize the risk to the rest of the world, and that maybe offers ways for reconciliation between North Korea and South Korea, uh, of course, uh, talks always make sense. Mm-hmm. I understand that at the moment, uh, the London uh, embassy of the North, of the government of North Korea is the main channel of communication with the European Union uh, even after Brexit. Do you think that that will change in the near future? This decision is on behalf of the North Korean regime, of the government. And I can imagine it will change. Uh, of course, Brussels would be the right venue 
for uh, representation of North Korea, the capital of Europe. And we will see what happens. I, I, uh, I'm already curious on this decisions in that regard. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so um, you said that uh, the main purpose of di- of increasing, or oh, sorry, the main purpose of dialogue with North Korea is to improve the uh, the living conditions of the citizens of North Korea. This is one of the important purposes. The other one is to minimize the risk that comes from North Korea uh, for the rest of the world. Right, and is that uh, denuclearization, is that one of the the main aims of of that? Of course, uh, proliferation generally and especially denuclearization of North Korea is in the interest of mankind. And does the EU have a policy on how denuclearization should be achieved and and, uh, has that been a, a consistent policy uh, over time? Well, the goal is clear, and it's not only the goal of EU, it's, uh, I would say, the goal of the Western world generally, and we should take joint action. EU already took joint action because uh, EU sanctions are clearer and tougher than, for example, the UN sanctions uh, due to clearer decisions uh, and stricter decisions in EU, and that's why EU should, in my view, uh, play a pioneer's role and be in the forefront of the fight for denuclearization. Now, the the, uh, the, the policy name, critical engagement, it sounds good uh, in principle, but is it actually uh, possible in practice? Uh, just as an example, in the last two years when North Korea was uh, talking much more uh, in a friendly way with uh, different dialogue partners, I don't recall the EU being very active in that area. Well, critical engagement is uh, better than no engagement since... Uh, we, we must be critical, of course, on the base of our values, of our experience, of our picture of men and uh, the world. So we have to be critical and uh, in uh, the picture of our understanding of Europe as it should act uh, stronger to the outside maybe than in the past. We should be engaged. That's mm-hmm. why critical engagement, engagement is important. And as already mentioned, humanitarian aid is uh, a field where EU is number one. And the EU is one of the few members of the international community that maintain provision of humanitarian aid as one of their tools to deal with North Korea. EU aid concentrates on the provision of food assistance, the improvement of health services, the access to clean water and sanitation. Aid provision is welcomed by North Korea, both privately and in public. The North Korean government has thanked the EU for its aid. Uh, I don't need uh, thanks by a totalitarian regime, but it shows that it means something. And it also means a leverage, in my view, uh, towards North Korea that uh, we have this strong presence uh, as a contributor of aid. Uh, Aid provision thus creates goodwill towards the EU. And that's what we need if we want to change something for the citizens, the people, the children, women and men there who are under pressure. Now, on the topic of uh, humanitarian aid, there are a number of uh, EU member states that have uh, different aid organizations active in North Korea. Uh, and last year, uh, unfortunately, the Finnish International Development Agency uh, was forced to uh, close its doors after, uh, I think, approximately 20 years of work in North Korea. And the reason they gave for having to close their activities was because of the uh, secondary effects of sanctions, that uh, it was difficult for them to continue doing their work because financial institutions would uh, uh, would not work with them uh, as a perhaps an unintended consequence of sanctions. How does the EU uh, work to to maintain to 
ensure that these negative consequences of sanctions or unintended consequences of sanctions are uh, minimized? This seems very important to me. I'm uh, the kind of uh, elected official who is frank on not being aware of something, and I'm not being aware of the specific Finnish example you have mentioned, but I was a member of the Development Committee of the European Union, of the European Parliament, and I always put my finger to the question, does the money we spend and the, the aid we contribute really go to the people it should go to in each and every place in the world. And this seems also crucial to me for North Korea. And that's why uh, we have to figure out each and every day, and this will be uh, one of the most uh, important obligations in my new capacity as uh, head of the North Korea delegation of the European Parliament, uh, to figure out uh, that uh, we find paths and ways to, to ensure that our aid really goes where it should go to. Great. Now, how does the EU coordinate with the uh, the P5 on issues like sanctions? Until recently, two of the P5 states were EU members. The EU position is also closely aligned with that of another P5 member, namely the United States. However, the two other P5 members, Russia and China, are much more critical regarding sanctions and consider this interference in domestic affairs. Therefore, and they call it domestic affairs, hmm? therefore the EU has its own autonomous sanctions regime on North Korea. As already mentioned, we are, mentioned, we are tougher mm -hmm. uh, than the UN is. Uh, which uh, complements and reinforces the sanctions adopted uh, by the UN. And th this seems important to me uh, that uh, we have we speak a clear language and that as European Union, we can be proud of that. You say that you are actually stricter than the UN with sanctions uh, from the EU. Uh, doesn't that actually increase the danger that sometimes the wrong targets can be caught in the, in the net of sanctions? Well, uh, it's a fact that our sanctions are targeted on the economy entirely it's not called targeted sanctions like in other places in the world it's uh, targeted uh, on the economy as a whole entirely but uh, this seems important since uh, the structure of this state uh, is so so inclusive between the citizens and the state between the businesses uh, and the regime that we have to uh, put the sanctions to the economy as a whole but always also contribute to the people of North Korea via development aid. Okay, so development aid is is the sort of um, what the mitigating circumstance or or something to uh, to lessen the impact of sanctions in a way. No, uh, it's uh, that's a very important question because the sanctions are a, an important leverage to change something in the fields I've already mentioned for the people in the country and for the rest of the world when it comes to security questions. Uh, and uh, the sanctions should not be relativized in any way uh, by development aid. But development aid is the huge strength of the EU in terms of soft power in this world. EU can be some kind of superpower of peace, a new kind of superpower, not the superpower as we have seen them in the 20th century, but today, superpower of peace. And development aid is in the framework of the European values, the European understanding of the dignity of human beings, the European understanding of freedom, of individual freedom. And that's why we contribute to development aid. And that means critical. Critical part are the sanctions. And they are 100% sanctions without relativizing them, but also engagement. And the engaged part are obviously 
the contributions to development aid? Uh, until last year, there were a number of um, North Korean laborers who were working in some EU member states, and under EU, uh, UN sanctions, they were uh, expelled from a number of countries. Why was that important uh, to see those North Korean workers sent back to uh, North Korea, when actually, in some ways, uh, it could be argued that they had better human rights than the people living inside North Korea? As far as we know, North Korea routinely sends workers abroad who labor in various industries, often for long hours and amid dangerous conditions for little pay, most of which is sent home by their handlers to a government under international sanctions for developing a nuclear weapons program, as we all know. The United Nations estimates that North Korea earns as much as $1.6 billion a year from laborers it sends overseas. North Koreans are known to have worked in EU member countries like Poland and Malta, where sources say they are housed in secure facilities with officials from Pyongyang who closely monitor their activities. The European Union must hold its member countries accountable for labor law violations that have led to the abuse of workers from North Korea earning foreign currency for the North Korean regime. As part of the EU sanctions regime, it is prohibited to provide new work authoritarians to North Korean nationals to enter and work in the territory of a member state. Member states shall not renew work authorizations for North Korean nationals except for refugees and other persons benefiting from international protection. That's a very clear uh, position of EU and it makes clear uh, why it is important that uh, we don't support uh, a regime by uh, supporting some kind of uh, low wage or even some kind of forced labor actually under negative uh, circumstances within the EU. But it's interesting that uh, what we've heard from uh, North Korean refugees who have left North Korea is that actually those jobs are often the most highly sought after by North Koreans and that uh, there are more people who apply than the, there are actually positions. And that's uh, perhaps something surprising if we categorize it as a form of slavery or forced labor is why there's so many people uh, trying to go for those jobs. I can imagine that... Uh it's interesting for a person from North Korea to take maybe the only chance in life to go to Malta or Poland via applying for such a job. But it doesn't change the fact that these workers and these jobs are abused by the North Korean regime for earning money for nuclear weapons programs and for generally uh, holding up their uh, authoritarian regime. And, and just remember, if somebody is really a refugee, uh, due to the Geneva Convention standards, of course, uh, she or he uh, has a, a completely different status than somebody who is officially sent and also uh, sent back after a period of time uh, from the North Korean regime. What kinds of non-governmental engagement does the EU think is worth encouraging? The European Union is encouraging the exchange of knowledge, I would say. Beneficiaries, organizations and institutions uh, of the North Korean uh, state may participate in the EU education, research and innovation programs, provided this is not a violation of current restrictions on scientific and technical cooperation with North Korea and provided that conditions, that the conditions in the relevant work program are met. Member states have their own education programs open to North Korean citizens. Restri restrictions there apply to the subjects in which North Korean nationals can receive specialized teaching and training. So North Korea itself is pretty locked up for its own people, 
but EU is open if it makes sense for people. Now, just as an example of that, uh, there is a, uh, a German foundation that every year uh, offers some scholarships to uh, North Koreans to go and study things like rule of law uh, in German universities. That sounds like the kind of thing that you would be encouraging. Of course, this, this makes a lot of sense because it's also with regard to responsible citizenship, I would say, uh, but also in other fields like uh, professional training, education in the field of uh, new opportunities, for example, in the field of uh, digitalization, of uh, software development, of software architecture, and so on. Of course, if it makes sense, people from North Korea may be locked up by their own state, but the uh, EU is and has to remain open for education programs that make sense. Now, the, uh, the, the unfortunate thing is that uh, although, as I mentioned, there's a German foundation offering these scholarships, the, uh, the German foreign ministry has not been so open on actually granting visas to these North Korean students. So the ones who are invited have not always been able to come. Yeah, we, we have to be frank to ourselves and to the world. Uh, not each and everybody who intends to come for this or that uh, university course or seminar really intends only to come for the seminar. We have to always remember that the people come from an authoritarian regime and authoritarian regime regimes also try to do their intelligence and to uh, undermine uh, other societies and other cultures. So, of course, each and every member state can decide who receives a visa and who doesn't receive a visa. That's... Uh, of course, uh, absolutely up to the sovereignty of the single member state. Uh, and th this is no contradiction to the fact that if it makes sense, that's uh, always important, uh, then uh, EU member states, in my view, are open and should remain open for uh, education programs and opportunities in the field of education for people from North Korea. Could there be more uh, in the way of this sort of non-governmental uh, engagement, for example, uh, sports exchanges, cultural exchanges? If it's really, as I have called it several times also today, people-to-people -people contact, uh, then it makes sense. And uh, I will always be open for this kind of establishment contact and maybe friendship between people and people. This doesn't mean uh, friendship of a democratic system with a non-democratic system. Now, how does, uh, we've talked also a little bit about human rights. How does the EU bring up the question of human rights in North Korea? Is that through, uh, through channels of dialogue or is that simply by uh, reading prepared statements? Uh, is it a real dialogue on, on that issue as far as you know? I mean, I know you're new to the, to the job, but what have you heard from others? Uh, while, while being grateful to you and thanking you for having me in this interview immediately after my election in this new position, and while being frank uh, on things I'm not or not yet aware of, I have to tell you, uh, human rights are always on my mind. When I stand up in the morning in my capacity as an elected official, human rights are on my mind. And when, when I go asleep as well, I mean it. Uh, and of course, I will, if I have the opportunity, talk to North Korean officials, uh, either in North Korea or anywhere in the world about human rights. I will use the opportunities and means and measures of parliamentary diplomacy to focus on human rights issues. And again, the strength of Europe in development aid is a way in our uh, behavior, not, uh, not, also, uh, not only in our language, but also in our behavior 
to present the North Korean people on our understanding of uh, human dignity, human rights. Could you tell a little bit more about the duties and responsibilities of your new position as uh, chair of the uh, Korean Peninsula delegation? Uh, yeah, as you have said, it's a peninsular delegation. Uh, I'm uh, responsible for the contacts of the European Parliament as well to South Korea and to North Korea. Uh, and I also have uh, already mentioned it makes sense due to the economic strength and the excellent, excellent relations of EU uh, and South Korean economic terms. And uh, on the other side, uh, it makes sense to deal with North Korea for security reasons and also for the human dignity of people who live there. I have uh, mentioned parliamentary diplomacy, and that's what it's all about. Uh, I'm a huge supporter of the whole idea of parliamentarism. It means a lot to me. It means to talk to each other. And it means in functioning democratic systems that not violence from what level ever, violence from the streets, violence from any authority decides how we deal with each other. But parliamentarians who are elected exactly for that behalf and on behalf of the people decide again on the behalf of the people and this only for a specific period of time. That's what parliamentarism is about. That's why I like and love to talk to parliamentarians in other parts of the world because this establishes the true people to people, citizens to citizens, women and men to women and men contact. And that's the field where I'm more than happy to get engaged, of course, multipartisan from the European Parliament side uh, with South Korea, with an elected parliament, and also with, with North Korea, with uh, whoever we can speak to. And we will always speak very frank, because this is also uh, a positive aspect of being a parliamentarian. Uh, we, we know the value of diplomatic work, but we are parliamentary diplomats, and we can sometimes speak more frank than the formal diplomats. And that's uh, what uh, I intend to do together with my colleagues in the Korea delegation uh, in my new capacity as a chair of this delegation. It does seem to me that, uh, in a way, uh, what the EU is trying to do and what North Korea does is, is playing two different games by two very different rules. You mentioned, as you said just then, that uh, parliamentary uh, democracy involves you know, representatives elected for a certain period of time. Uh, and like in most democracies, you know, these are cycles of uh, three or sometimes four years. Uh, and in North Korea, it's a much longer game. I mean, we've had now in 70 years three leaders. Does it not seem like two different games being played here? Uh, how is it possible to have real dialogue in that way, you know, even on a parliamentarian to parliamentarian level? I, I have tried to focus on that, and I want to say it maybe in different words, because it's really two games two completely different games, especially when it comes to Korea. It's two games, two systems, uh, two very different uh, uh, challenges ahead, but it's one peninsula. And it's one peninsula uh, I have uh, the privilege to be co-responsible with my colleagues in the delegation. Uh, and I'm each and every day working on this uh, on this important issue, aware of the fact that uh, we we deal with two completely different systems and we have completely different agendas in South Korea and in North Korea, I would never compare them. Do you have plans to visit Seoul and Pyongyang in the near future? Yes. How soon could that be? I mean, obviously under the coronavirus in North Korea, nobody's going in or out right now, right? Everyone's under lockdown. Maybe I can surprise you. Let's see. Ah. 
Okay. Um, when you do go to uh, to Pyongyang, who then would your dialogue partner or partners be? Would you be talking to members of the foreign ministry or members of the Supreme People's Assembly, which would be the equivalent of a parliament there? I'm aware of the fact that it's easier and also extremely important to decide to whom I talk in advance to this trip and afterwards, because that puts me in the position to whomever I will be able to meet. And that's uh, not that much on my behalf and uh, in, uh, let's say, under my control, whom I can meet there. But I can decide what to talk about, what to focus on, where where to put the finger on when I have these talks in North Korea. And uh, I would love to have another podcast opportunity with you mm. and to talk uh, with you after a possible visit. Let's see if it happens. And after that, uh, I can inform you about uh, the outcomes of this visit, just uh, to make sure that uh, I'm not misunderstood. Uh, I know the importance of the groundwork that's done in development aid, mm -hmm. financed and often conducted by the European Union. We can be proud of that. Uh, and of course, I will also watch out wherever I would be in North Korea on the people who help on behalf of the European people. Now, there is a, a former uh, member of the European Parliament, uh, Mr. Glyn Ford. He's uh, also based here in Brussels and is a director of Track to Asia, a Brussels-based non-profit organization that specializes in Track 2 diplomatic activities between Europe and East Asia. Uh, he travels frequently to North Korea to meet with members of the Korean Workers' Party Committee on Foreign Relations. Are you aware of him? Have you ever met him or come across him? I'm aware of his work. I have not yet met him. I would love to meet him as soon as possible. Uh, you as uh, NK News were quicker than him. Uh, or uh, He was, was on our podcast last year, actually, when his book came out, Talking to North I, Korea. Yeah. I have to listen to that. And uh, I would love to meet with him because track two initiatives in diplomacy, as I would call it, so non-governmental, informal mm. and unofficial contacts mean a lot to reconciliation, to peace. Uh, and uh, that's why I really appreciate his work. And I know I can and will learn a lot from his side on my future work. Could you talk a little bit more about Track 2 uh, um, non-governmental diplomacy and, and why it's important in your view? Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, comparable also with uh, the field of parliamentary diplomacy I've already mentioned. Again, while really underlining that formal diplomacy is very, very important. I'm of Austrian origin. My home country is Austria. We have a huge tradition in diplomacy. The Vienna Congress. Given, given the very long history, we have a small tradition in wars and a huge tradition in diplomacy. So I really would never underestimate the meaning of diplomacy, formal diplomacy. But uh, I also ask not to underestimate uh, the meaning of parliamentary diplomacy, as I have already described it. And I also underline the meaning of, let's say, track two diplomacy, because it means personal contacts, personal friendships, uh, Sometimes in other places in the world, I'm not talking about the Korean Peninsula yet, but I know in other parts of the world, friendships over the borders of ethnicities, of, of nationalities, of religions, of other parts of personal identities, which are generally beautiful, but which sometimes cause trouble, cause conflicts, cause wars. And this track to diplomacy doesn't have to respond to media each day, uh, doesn't have to uh, respond to, let's say, government officials every day, but can conduct and live friendship, personal contact. And this is this is actually the humus, hmm? the roots for uh, for peace and reconciliation and, uh, and good neighborhood uh, on this planet. That's great. How are you uh, preparing for 
uh, your increased contact with uh, North Korea. Are there any uh, books that you're reading right now? Have you met uh, Koreans or Korean think tanks uh, recently to uh, prepare you for this? Uh, I have met uh, Korean officials as well as uh, other people from Korea to get a good overview. Which one? Uh, I'm... Uh, uh I will not mention any names yet. No, no, not names, but which Korea? South Korea. Okay. But uh, I've also met with experts who are very, very familiar with North Korea. And so I try to get prepared more and more. And uh, I'm in each and every field of my parliamentary work dependent on, and that's the important word, reliable. And that's the second important word, evidence-based partners and experts and their expertise in order to have a good overview. And I'm also dependent on uh, great colleagues from uh, different political groups in the European Parliament uh, to work out a common path uh, how to deal with uh, the issues. And that's the way I start in my new capacity as the head of this delegation. Wonderful. Well, uh, we wish you every success in your, uh, your Thank new you capacity. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mr. Lucas Mandel, for joining me today on the NK News podcast. All the best. Take care. Thank you. We hope to have you back again soon. Looking forward. involved in the production of this podcast were partially funded by the Uni Korea Fund, for which we are extremely grateful.